Hello and welcome to the How BJJ Works podcast, the podcast where we do a deep dive and explore a concept or topic that was covered in the weekly blog post on the website. My name is Justin and I am your host. I'm a three-stripe purple belt who's been training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for about seven years. This podcast is mostly targeted at newcomers to BJJ or those who are curious about the sport and would like to learn more before taking the plunge. That being said, all are welcome. And if you've been training for a while but just like to listen to people talk about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, please take a seat and stay a while. Today's episode is on positions and positional hierarchy, and we're going to be basing this off of the blog post for this week titled, How Positions Work in BJJ. So for this episode, I'm going to do things a little bit different. I'm just going to choose a a sentence or two out of um, each section of the blog, and I'm just going to talk about that, maybe use a specific example or specific scenario from my training experience, just to uh, provide a little bit of context to what we're talking about and, uh, and give it a little bit of a personal touch. To get started though, I'm just gonna read the first intro uh, section of the blog post, and then we can start going from there. So within the art of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, a position refers to the bodily arrangement or placement of two grapplers. Each position comes with their own set of advantages and disadvantages. While there are a handful of generally accepted basic positions, not all practitioners agree on what to call them or which are the best. Additionally, new positions are being created and expanded upon all the time. All right, let's dive into it. So the first section is on naming conventions. I'm just going to read the first couple sentences here. So the naming conventions of the positions may not always make sense, nor they will be used consistently across different schools. A good example of this is the 10th Planet Organization, who typically has their own internal naming conventions for even the most common positions. So an example of this that I'll never forget is when I first started, I had a coach uh, who would often use his very interesting naming conventions for moves uh, that were even widely accepted with their own names. Um, And I think it was just kind of his way of of putting a personal spin on it. Um, But I remember this one specific position from kind of turtle top. Uh, You're going for the guillotine choke. um, And when you're kind of using your chest to push in, he would say, oh, you gotta, you gotta create a holler. You gotta create a holler to make the choke. And I was like, I just couldn't get it. And I tried to get him to explain it to me and there's just some sort of disconnect there and it wasn't until years later when i met somebody from the south and uh having grown up in the northwest uh region of the united states you can imagine that i didn't have a ton of interaction with people from the south but i uh, at some point years later met somebody and they specifically used the word hauler and i remember it was actually in a like a business situation and we kind of had our conversation. And afterwards, I, I was like, hey, do you mind if I ask you like a personal question? They're like, oh, sure. And I was like, you said the word holler. Can you please explain what that means? And uh, and they thought it was the funniest thing. They're like, oh, you know, like a, like a holler. And, um, it's some sort of geographical thing with, with like a valley or a depression or something. Um, I don't remember the exact specifics around it. But I just remember thinking to myself like, oh, I think what he was trying to say was that I needed to create more space or, or maybe the way to move my body or something. I probably still don't even get it to this day, um, but it's a good example uh, of how some people are going to try to explain situations to you and you may not get it. Uh, it may be a naming convention thing. It may be just the specific metaphor that they're using or the way they're trying to get you to move your body. Regardless of what it is, just realize that if you don't get it right away, like that's totally fine. Maybe ask around, get another person to <laughs> give you an example of, of kind of what they're trying to say. Um, sometimes you're just going to run into those situations. 
So in the next uh, section of the blog post, we actually start getting into the positional hierarchy. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there is going to be some um, differences depending on who you ask as to that positional hierarchy, but we'll just go with the kind of widely accepted, very general top level version of this. So from most advantageous to least advantageous, we essentially have back mount, mount, neon belly, side control, north-south, quarter guard, half guard, close guard, open guard. So obviously a high level person can submit a less experienced person from a disadvantageous position, right? But assuming all things are equal, you're generally going to want the more advantageous position. And this kind of leads us into something that I wanted to talk about that's actually a little bit farther down in the blog post. But I think when we're um, in this format where I'm kind of just talking about things, I want to hit on it now. And that is position before submission. So I'm going to read this next section for you out of the blog post. One thing you may hear people say is position before submission. This has become a saying due to the general eagerness and overambitious nature of new grapplers. A new player may train for months before they get their first submission during a live roll, and so they may chase a submission when they think they see an opportunity. A coach may tell a student, position before submission, after the student has failed in their overambitious chase of a submission, especially if the student gave up positional dominance to chase it, and their opponent capitalized on that overambition and punished them for it. Okay, so a specific example of this. Let's say you just passed the guard and you're getting ready to settle inside control, but you see an opportunity for a submission. You don't quite have control over the person yet. They're still moving around. They're still able to kind of get their frames in and stuff, but you just, man, you're ready for that submission. You want it. You can taste it. You just go for it, right? You don't quite have everything locked down, but you go for it anyways, and they easily escape the situation. And now you are in an inferior position because they just reversed you. Okay, so that would be an example of not utilizing the rule of position before submission, right? So let's say you do it properly. This time you pass the guard, you settle into side control. The dude is not going anywhere, right? You've got this guy locked down. He's trying to escape. You're shutting down everything he does. And everything he does just ends up making things worse right to the point where eventually he can't move and you've isolated an arm and you just start slowly working into that submission, right? So that's a really uh, good way of doing it. You're not opening up yourself for any counterattacks. It's just the slow grind into <laughs> eventual death. Okay, I'm going to jump back in the blog post just a little bit. Um, we touched on a few topics, top and bottom positions. So I just want to talk a little bit about those things. So I'm going to first read the intro paragraph and then we'll go from there. So when talking about BJJ positions, you may want to qualify whether the context is from the top or the bottom of the position. In most cases, the top will refer to the grappler with the most advantage, but this is not always the case. For example, the bottom player in close guard is often considered to be more at an advantage because they have four limbs at their disposal, whereas the top player will only be able to use their two arms. Okay. So top position, as I mentioned uh, in our previous example from side control, so I should have put the qualifier in that I was talking about side control top, right? Because I could have been talking about being in side control bottom and going for a submission. Um, this you know, 
given the context clues of me describing, oh, I want to, you know, isolate an arm and control them and all those things, you probably could figure out that I'm talking about the top position. But if you're new to jujitsu, um, it's possible that you wouldn't necessarily know that. Uh, so when we're talking about positions, this is why it can be important to talk about the context of whether you are coming from top or the bottom position, especially if you're going to be asking questions uh, in class or to a coach or a student or someone, it's a good idea to provide the context of what you're referring to. So if you have a question about side control, uh, you want to be specifically referring to side control top or bottom, and then you can go from there to ask your question. Um, so this just helps because every position in jujitsu, when we talk about positions and positional hierarchy, every position is going to have a top and a bottom version or a advantageous and disadvantageous um, position. The next section to talk about is going to be positional tactics and strategy. This is uh, an important element of the positional hierarchy because it's the study of how different positions um, flow together, right? So the idea of tactic and strategy uh, comes from chess. So in chess, the strategy is the evaluation of position combined with a long-term plan, whereas tactics are the series of moves strung together to achieve short-term goals, like capturing a piece. So in BJJ, this would apply in that your overall strategy is going to be, okay, uh, I want to take this guy to the ground with my number one sweep uh, or throw or you know, wrestling takedown or whatever, and then I'm going to um, move to side control and submit with armbar or Kimura from top, right? That's an overall strategy. When it comes to actually implementing that strategy, you're going to have a series of tactics. So let's say you want to do an ankle pick from standing. So you're going to get your grips. You're going to move them off balance. You're going to change levels for the ankle pick, take them down, right? That was a series um, of moves. That was a tactic to uh, eventually get the takedown. Right. And then, OK, now I'm going to uh, push his knees to the ground. Toriando, I'm going to um, switch sides, but I know that he gives the resistance and I'm going to jump over to side control. Right. That was a series of moves, a tactic um, for achieving the pass. Right. And then the same thing with the armbar or the Kimura. Right. You've got your setup. And just like chess, there are a million different ways you can string together combinations. And this goes into developing your game. So I'm going to jump down the blog post again to the next section called Developing a Game. So each gym will likely have their own definition, but a game can be loosely defined as how you transition between your favorite positions. It's pretty simple in that respect. Um, each gym is going to have a different way of how they want to evaluate that. Uh, some will have specific routes they want you to learn in a curriculum. Um, others will want it entirely be up to you. They're going to show you a number of different things and they want you to pick and choose. Others are going to be a combination of that, right? And it may be that you work with different coaches and each kind of has their own idea of what they want to see. You know, if you have a wrestling coach, they're probably going to want to see you geared more towards wrestling, etc. Um, but overall, uh, your coach, like the, the black belt who is going to be uh, responsible for promoting you, is going to be looking for some sort of game within you of how you uh, string all these things together to create a full picture, a full strategy. So I'll just talk about um, my game and use that as an example and uh, kind of my, my journey um, when I was first starting and kind of moving into where I ended up here as I'm the, the late stages of my purple belt. Um, so when I first started, I was very drawn to the Kimura. I loved Kimura from bottom, especially 
like closed guard or, or open guard. I loved hunting for that as people passed. Um, and a lot of that just had to do with my personality and, um, and my background. I was never really good at wrestling. I did wrestle in eighth grade and like for a couple of weeks in ninth grade. And I was just like, Oh my God, this sucks. Uh, so instead I was like, oh, man, I would rather do cross country than this. Right. That's how much I hated wrestling. So instead I ran, which looking back on that seems like a terrible idea, but, um, regardless, that was kind of where I was at that time. As I moved uh, into my adult years, um, I was kind of drawn back to that a little bit, just like a little bit of roughhousing and a little bit of playing around with some friends. Um, and I was like, man, this wrestling thing is quite a bit of fun. Um, but I actually didn't seek out a gym until um, I just got really tired of weightlifting. And I was like, man, there has to be a better way to work out that's a little more entertaining than this. Um, and I just happened to have a coworker who was like, hey, man, um, you should come give this a try, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. Instantly fell in love with it. I remember walking through the door and uh, and balking at the price. I was just like, wow, that is way too much for a monthly gym membership. I pay like 20 bucks a month to go with lift weights, you know, like get out of here with your $100 a month. And uh, and so I did my free class and I just immediately walked, you know, <laughs> straight to the sign up booth. And I was just like, I'm, I'm ready. Like, here's my money. You just take my money. And uh, I just remember being very powerful. And um, so when I first started doing a lot of training, I didn't have that like hyper aggressive kind of top uh, dominant wrestling background. Um, and I just, I wasn't very sure of myself. So I spent a lot of time playing from bottom. I really enjoyed the Kimura. Uh, but as I got more comfortable and as my coach uh, pushed me more into, I need to see a top game, I need to see a top game, you know, um, I, my love of the Kimura re remained, um, but I just transitioned from you know, hunting for it on close guard to hunting for it, um, from side control or uh, north south or kind of whatever. And so that was kind of, um, I guess the, 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 the crux of my game. Right. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of that. So as we moved into that top dominant position, um, and I knew that I like side control. I knew I like Kimura, the knee slice, the, the moment I learned knee slice, I was like, Oh my God, this is the pass for me. Right because you just go right into side control and sometimes you can even catch the arm um, and go right into the Kimura uh, straight from there. And so those two things uh, fit really well together. Um, so then when it comes to learning stand-up, uh, you know, learned a few judo throws, learned some wrestling takedowns, um, ankle pick uh, into um, knee slice, into side control, into Kimura, right? That just seemed to flow pretty naturally. Or, um, you know, double leg takedown, that kind of thing, single leg. Anytime you can isolate a leg and, uh, and kind of use that as you're in transition of, this, of, the, um, of the takedown and just retain that leg so that you can isolate it and then keep it pinned to the ground, that just seemed to flow really naturally for me. So, as you can see, um, each of these things, as you're moving through the journey, you kind of pick and choose and you start to kind of piece them together. And this is where you start to develop your game, right? And so it was just a natural progression and it wasn't anything, you know, I didn't like sit there and think like, oh, I should do this to this to this, right? You just, you learn, you just spend the time on the mats, you learn uh, these different techniques, these different positions, these different strings of movement. And you just, you choose the stuff that you naturally gravitate towards. And then you eventually are able to kind of fit it together 
into this larger option, right? And I have my A game, I have my B game, my C game. And, and you kind of use those things against different people, right? You sharpen your A game, um, you know, against the, the upper belts, you know, the black belts, the brown belts, you know, um, maybe kind of use your a mixture of your A and B game against your peers. And then you bust out your C and B game, you know, for the, for the lower belts um, to kind of get better at the stuff you're not very good at. And that's kind of how you, you start to move all those things together. So I know I kind of uh, just deep dove uh, into kind of this one section of developing a game. I mean, based on how much I just talked about it, I probably could have just, you know, wrote the blog topic about that alone. And we could have just spent this time talking about uh, just games and developing one. Um, but this is kind of how I'm envisioning the podcast to work, uh, to just kind of go on the blog topic and then kind of discuss certain uh, certain pieces of it and uh, and just kind of elaborate from there. And if we get, you know, going down a rabbit hole, then that's what happens. Um, but I just like talking about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and... Uh, and I think that uh, if you're listening to this, you probably do as well. But if you'd rather I, I kind of more closely follow the blog topic, let me know. Um, and we can uh, kind of save the deep dives for, for the actual topic of the blog um, instead of kind of hunting down these different rabbit holes. But I think this kind of worked. And um, it was a lot of fun. And, and I enjoyed kind of uh, actually getting sucked into a specific part of the blog. Um, instead of just kind of following it more closely uh, like I did with the last episode. But let me know what you thought, and uh, and we can go from there. This concludes our podcast, but I appreciate you sticking around for the whole episode. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and please leave a review or send me a message to let me know what you thought. In order to make ends meet, I do sell ad space on the website. I also promote affiliate links to products that I think are worth endorsing and accept donations through Patreon. If you ever want to contribute, your support is greatly appreciated, but don't feel pressured to give anything that you can't afford to anyone ever. Until next time, tap early, train often, and most importantly, have fun.